In addition to Drago, patron saint of coffee, today is also the feast day for St. Magnus, the patron saint of the Scottish Isles of Orkney. Magnus's story is very connected to place. He was the rightful king of Orkney until his cousin betrayed and killed him. I was curious. So I reached out to St. Magnus Cathedral in Orkney to find out how they were celebrating the Feast of St. Magnus today. And the organist wrote me back and said they would be singing a medieval hymn. And they wished us all a very happy St. Magnus Day. Um, I would never tell the St. Magnus Cathedral's kind organist how to celebrate the Feast of St. Magnus especially considering I just learned he existed. But between you and me, I was a little bummed. I'd found a video of a St. Magnus Cathedral historian describing the feast of St. Magnus during the medieval age, and I was really hoping that they'd kept those traditions alive because it sounded like a rockin' party. Inside the cathedral, three stories of stunning stone arches lined the sanctuary, and in the medieval age, they would have been covered every inch with paint, vivid colors. Outside, the world was new and bright and flowering. People would take intentional rest from working the land, and they would gather together as a community and feast and play games and play bagpipes, and they would dance and dance and dance. My hope was that they had at least kept the dancing. I think dance is a valuable and beautiful spiritual practice. I was thinking this week that the first time I ever visited Bethany, maybe 15 years ago, was because someone had invited me to a contra dance in the gym. I love that my story with this place and this community that is now so meaningful and important to me began with dancing. When my college roommate got married, her dad did the father-daughter dance and then he took a seat at his table to watch the reception. I tried to like motion for him to get out on the dance floor and he would wave back with, oh, no, 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 no. And I finally went over to him and I said, come on, Denny, it's dancing time. A reserved Minnesotan with reserved Swedish roots, Denny laughed and then shied away again. Oh no, 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 I don't dance. I never dance. You go have fun. Let it be for the young people. I'd spent many holidays with their family. Denny had helped us move apartments He'd given me good parental advice when my parents were far away, and Denny and I had a, a fun, joking relationship. Denny, I said, if you're happy just to just watch the party, I'll respect it. But I'll be honest. When you look back on this beautiful day, the day that your youngest daughter got married, I have a hunch that it would be nice to say, I danced. I danced at your wedding, Izzy, and I'm so glad I danced. 
And Denny squinted at me as he tried to discern if I was being earnest or giving him a hard time, and it was probably both. And then he nodded his head and he walked out on the dance floor, and Denny tore it up. To the utter shock of everyone in his family who had never seen this man dance. He danced hard. <laughs> And that was the day that Denny stopped calling me Elena. He now refers to me exclusively as his dance partner. When I see him, he will, there'll be a natural lull in the conversation and then Denny will fill it with a deep sigh of satisfaction and out of the blue just say, I'm so glad I danced. I'm just so glad I danced. Dancing is an invitation to be present to joy to let go of our need to be taken seriously or to not draw attention to ourselves and to give ourselves permission to celebrate deeply. Psalm 30 has a note at the top of the chapter that this is a psalm sung at the dedication of the temple, a huge day. It's also a psalm that's read as a prayer after people have recovered from grave illness because this chapter has text of praise. God, you did this amazing thing. You healed me. You restored me from the pit. You fixed everything, God. I'm blown away by you. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning, for you've, you've turned my morning into dancing. And you may be here today, and that might be your story. I would love it if it is. There are moments when that has been my story, when a situation feels oppressive and hard and painful for years and you don't have any prayers left to pray and then something suddenly shifts. A new job offer, reconciliation, remission, rehab, a pink line, and the depths of your being are filled to the brim with gratitude. God, you did this thing. You made a way. The morning has come and there is joy. Don't let those moments pass by. To you who need celebration, I say, dance. And yet, the act of dancing isn't just reserved for the joy that comes in the morning. Dancing can also help to, to sustain us through the long night. Doctors Emily and Amelia Nagoski are twin sisters who wrote a book on burnout and how to complete the body's stress cycle. I first became aware of their work during the first year of the pandemic and it felt right on time to me. Their work articulated that emotions are a physical embodied experience, not just something that happens in our brains or in our minds. When we encounter something emotional, our body reacts first, and then our brain has to interpret the body's signals in order to give a name to that experience. Many of us are familiar with fight, flight, or freeze responses in the body. If your body encounters danger, it releases neurochemicals and hormones that cause an increase in heart rate, an increase in breathing, 
and it shunts blood away from the intestines and it sends more blood to the muscles in your arms and legs to prepare you to fight or run. And it's easy to assume that your body's fight-flight reaction is happening because you are scared, but in actuality, it works in the opposite direction. It is because our body is experiencing a fight-or-flight reaction that your brain then goes, oh, because these things are happening inside of me, there must be danger nearby, therefore, I must be scared. Our body tells our mind. Our brain is always working to interpret the body's data. I like thinking of emotions like data points. I think it drives home the idea that emotions aren't good or bad, they're just information. And our job is to feel the feeling and get the information. But those big emotions live in our body like a cycle. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And when we felt our way through the whole cycle, we've closed the loop and we're back at a neutral reset and ready to take in new information. Once a stress cycle has begun, we don't finish the cycle by removing the thing that was stressful. And we don't, remove, and we don't finish the cycle by proving to ourselves that there's no reason to be stressed. The loop isn't closed through our thoughts. The loop is closed in the body where it lives. If the body sped up your breathing and sent extra blood to your arms and legs for big movement, then you close the cycle with big movement or deep breathing or slowing your heart rate with a long hug from someone who feels safe. The language your body speaks is physical, not mental. Even when the stressor only is in your mind, the emotional cycle is still in your body. When our stress cycles don't cycle fully through to conclusion and we end up stuck in a chronic emotional hamster wheel cycle, that's when we experience burnout because we're not meant to stay stuck in that cycle. We're meant to move through it. Burnout looks like three things. Emotional exhaustion from caring too much for too long, a depletion of empathy and compassion, and an unconquerable sense of futility or feeling that nothing you do makes any difference. Throughout human history, Dance has been part of sacred rituals, rituals of preparation for battle, rites of passage, courtship, hunting parties, changes of leadership, healing, crops, harvest, worship, and so on. Dance does some heavy communal lifting in emotional cycle closing. I've also seen dancing and joy present at many protests that I've been to. A march itself becoming a kind of community dance. The song Dancing in the Streets by Martha and the Vandrells became popular in part because of the meaning it held in 1964 as the Civil Rights Act was signed into law. 
and race riots continued in U.S. cities, along with protests of the Vietnam War. When we protest, we are dancing for justice. Communities have long used dance to tell their stories of the past, to process and heal in the present, and to bless, <laughs> yeah, sing it, and to bless and prepare for the road ahead. Dancing is part of what makes a gay bar or a drag show a sacred space. Dancing restores and sustains. You may be here today and feel exhausted. You watch the news and you are burnt out. Where is equity and freedom and safety from violence for you, your neighbors, your children? You feel numb from the stories. How can you make a difference? To you who needs restoration and to close the hamster wheels of stress, I say, dance. Dance can be an intentional spiritual practice that we choose to cultivate space, space for joy, space for grief, space for everything, dance it all. When I work as an on-call chaplain in a hospital nearby, we take turns each day sharing a spiritual practice with the rest of the chaplaincy team during our morning staff meeting. It's a lovely moment of calm and centering and connection while we sit in a large circle before heading out into the day where we don't know what we will encounter. Usually people bring in poems or prayers, but late last summer, I was poemed out and I wanted to share dance as my spiritual practice. I asked each chaplain to stand and turn around and face a wall, close their eyes and promise they wouldn't look at each other. And then I played Whitney Houston's Higher Love and I told them to dance to flail, to make big, big movements with their bodies. And I told them that they'd feel silly, but to do it anyway, because we were gonna cultivate joy and stretch our tolerance for feeling uncomfortable. I knew it was a big ask for people to get on board with that before 9 a.m. Wear St. Drago when you need them. But they were good sports. And after a minute, people settled into the new normal that sometimes we all turn away from each other and close our eyes and shake and shimmy. <laughs> One of the chaplains there that day had worked all year on the hospital floor that by far saw the most death. She was exceptionally suited to that role. And she had supported staff and patients during wave after wave of COVID. But that week in particular had been a very heavy week of loss. Several patients she had become close to had passed away. And I was touched by how appreciative she was that I essentially just asked her to face a wall and wiggle around to Whitney. 
She said it was something she hadn't realized she had really needed. And she began adding dance breaks to her shifts. She moved away from Chicago last fall, but she still texts me anytime she hears or plays higher love. Dancing has become part of how she holds grief and death now as a hospice chaplain. You may also be here today and the night of weeping keeps stretching on. You cannot see joy on the horizon from inside the pit. To feast and celebrate feels disingenuous, maybe painful. To you in pain, I say, dance. Dance. Because dancing is not just for moments of rejoicing after there has been perfect healing. Dancing is also part of the act of healing. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. Dance in the midst of it all, a gift of kindness to your embodied self, a gift from God. There is space in verse 11 for you. You have turned my mourning into dancing because dancing can be in the messy middle. Don't wait for there to be no fear or anxiety or grief or pain. Dance because there is fear and anxiety and grief and pain. So dance. This week, pull out your dancing shoes and your playlists. Dance alone in your living room or in the grass with your kids or go to sidetracks. Recognize it as a spiritual practice, an act of an embodied prayer, a place that we invite God to meet us. Dance. <laughs>